Welcome, everyone, to the Veterans News Hour with David Corey and Richard Hurley, a national news and talk program dedicated to military veterans' issues. And now, your hosts, David Corey and Richard Hurley. Good evening. Welcome to the Veterans News Hour for Monday, March the 8th, 2021. This is Air Force veteran David Corey, along with my co-host, Richard Hurley. Thanks for joining us this evening. We've got a great show for you tonight, and to get things rolling, let's go over to Richard Hurley. Hello, Richard. How you doing? Hey, hey David. Good evening to everybody out there, and I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, tonight we have a special guest with us this evening, Sarah Kierzek. She is the executive director for Habitat for Humanity of Wisconsin. Sarah is here to tell us about the great work being done by Habitat for Humanity in Wisconsin, in particular their programs to help women veterans. First, though, I want to remind everybody, like I always do every week, that this is a call-in show that welcomes your views and comments and questions. So you can call us at any time during the show at one triple eight six two seven. 600 again, I'm sorry, 6008. Again, that number is 1-888-627-6008. We really want you to call in. You know, you might have some questions for Sarah about her, her program. Um, and so please um, take that opportunity uh, to do that tonight. Last November, we kicked off an interview series with Habitat for Humanity International to highlight the organization's efforts to support U.S. veterans through its Veterans Build program. The program's five pillars, build, honor, educate, volunteer engagement, and employment, play an important role in the program, and for tonight's conversation, we'll focus on the honor pillar and discuss how Habitat for Humanity is honoring veterans. Today is International Women's Day, a day to celebrate the social, economic, cultural, and political achievements of women around the world. We have Sarah Kierzek, Executive Director of Habitat for Humanity Wisconsin, with us tonight to discuss the unique unique challenges women veterans face after they leave the military and what the state organization is doing to support, honor, and thank these amazing women for their service and sacrifice. Sarah has been Executive Director for Habitat for Humanity Wisconsin for over 10 years, serving the 35 local Habitat affiliates throughout the state. Prior to her current position, she was executive director for Milwaukee Habitat for Humanity for five and a half years. Sarah developed her strong commitment to community service during her 15 years as an assistant director for Wisconsin Congressman Jerry Kletzka, working on a variety of issues, including housing, social security, and veteran services. So without further ado, let's welcome Sarah to the Veteran News Hour. How are you, Sarah? Oh, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. And how's everything in Wisconsin? A little cold? No, actually, it's a beautiful day today. We hit almost 60 degrees, which is wow. warm for us. So, yeah, the snow is melting fast. Well, that, that's good to hear. In our first interview with Habitat for Humanity last November, which is available to listeners on our website, we discussed Habitat's Habitat Veterans Build Program. Can you tell us about the Habitat Wisconsin's involvement with the Veterans Build Program? Absolutely. Like you said, Wisconsin has 35 local habitat affiliates throughout the state. And over the last 30-plus years since our first habitat affiliate was founded, 
Many of our affiliates have served a number of veterans and families of veterans, but it was really only within the last five years that we've begun to place an emphasis on veterans-built programs. Uh, a few years ago, a veterans engagement specialist from Habitat for Humanity International began traveling around the state of Wisconsin visiting our affiliates and our state organization to talk about the need for affordable housing for veterans in our state. And during a meeting with officials from Wisconsin's Department of Veterans Affairs, we became aware that there really aren't any um, housing organizations in our state with a state like wide reach like ours that are providing low-income veterans with home repair assistance. So we started working with Habitat International's Veterans Build Program and our local affiliates to begin filling that need. Um, our role is a st as a state organization is to help our affiliates get enrolled and active in the program and to provide them with some technical support and to coordinate our statewide initiatives. So as, as part of our outreach with Veterans Build programs, uh, we contacted DVA County Veterans Services offices to let them know about the program and to help and ask them to help us find veteran homeowners who could benefit from it. So, for example, we heard from a county DVA coordinator who knew of a veteran who had not had a functioning water heater in his home for several years and also needed updates to his plumbing and kitchen and bathroom fixtures, but he was on a really limited budget and there was no way he was going to be able to afford the repairs. Um, with some funding from the Veterans Build Office, we were able to get those repairs done. So now this veteran can once again live safely and comfortably in his home. That's awesome. You know, I have a, a cousin who's in Connecticut, and he's he's part of a, a, a housing program uh, uh, which involves a lot of veterans, and he works closely with Home Depot. Right. And we I'm also not sure, work. I, yeah. So I was just wondering, do you you know do you utilize any and. Any services with Home Depot? I know Home Depot actually is a big contributor to, the, to their nonprofit organization. Right. Home Depot is, is a big sponsor of the Veterans Build Program. So Habitat affiliates around the country um, apply for grants for them from them um, to, to fund some of our repair programs. No, that's awesome. Now, um, I know you're, you're, you're the director of the program, but you can't possibly be doing this all by yourself. Uh, what kind of support staff do you have? Um, we have two people in our office besides me, but uh, the support really comes from our affiliates because they're really the ones who are doing all the work. Uh, we're just helping them find funding, find technical support, um, coordinate these programs, and, and help them get whatever they need to be successful and serve veterans. That's awesome. You know, our show focuses on veterans' affairs and bringing awareness to the challenges veterans face when they leave the military. One specific population that many people don't realize is facing extra challenges are our women veterans. Tell us about the challenge women veterans face as they transition from service member to civilian life and why this particular group of veterans hit the hardest and oftentimes are overlooked. That's right. Um, Wisconsin's home to more than... 360,000 veterans of all military branches serving from World War II to the present, and nearly 10% of those veterans are women, and that percentage is actually increasing. But sadly, many of the women veterans are, are facing unique challenges and often are feeling forgotten. 
they are more likely to be homeless or be housing cost burden than their male counterparts and the civilian population. They're more likely to be living in poverty or at greater risk of economic instability. They're more likely to have experienced PTSD or military sexual trauma, but they are also less likely to access veteran services and are less likely to even identify themselves as veterans than their male counterparts. We've had a number of instances at Habitat where women don't even check the box on applications for assistance that asks if they've served in the military. But we later find out that they're veterans. So when we ask them about it, they invariably say they don't really consider themselves veterans because they didn't serve in, uh, in active combat. Hmm. So and Wisconsin women veterans living in rural communities around the state are actually hit the hardest. A number of our rural communities have higher percentages of veterans living in poverty than the state and national averages. So our veterans build programs are really needed in these areas. So, But often when people think of poverty, they think of urban neighborhoods with large cities. But rural poverty in Wisconsin is actually growing at a faster rate than urban poverty. So some of the challenges, um, they include significantly lower wages in rural areas, scarce job opportunities, cost of gas is higher, groceries are higher, um, commutes to a job are often longer, heating homes with oil or propane can be more costly. And these days there is, a, is a, an increased cost of building supplies, particularly in rural areas where some supplies are, are even difficult to impossible to get. Makes, it makes home repairs really challenging. So, and as many women veterans tend to be single parents, having that financial stability and housing stability is imperative. According to a report by the National Housing Conference, nearly half of our veterans who are single mothers spend more than 30% of their income on housing. This is why the work of our Habitat affiliates is so important for veterans living in these rural areas as well as throughout the state. Wow. Uh, you know, part of Habitat Wisconsin's Veteran Builds Veterans Build program focuses specifically on women's veterans. She served. Can you tell us more about this initiative and how did that initiative come about? I sure can. Um, work of that repair project that I talked about with the veteran without the water heater got us um, got back to the newly appointed secretary of the Wisconsin DVA, Mary Kolar, who then had her office call and ask if she could do a 9-11 day of service at one of our local affiliates. And while she was there, the conversation turned to the more than 30,000 female vets in our state and the unique challenges that they face after they leave service. The conversation kind of inspired us to create the She Served program to honor women veterans. Um, with help from the Habitat Veterans Build Office, we, we planned a statewide event to be held on June 12, 2020, on the anniversary of the Women's Armed Services Integration Act, which was signed into law by President Truman in 1948, enabling women to serve as permanent members of the U.S. Armed Forces. We had 15 events scheduled on that day throughout the state with women veterans partnering with us on their own home repairs. We had groups of women and women veterans coming together to do a day of service. We had male veterans and volunteers who were coming to recognize our women veterans. 
but we had to cancel the event due to COVID-19 safety concerns. But our planning committee didn't want to lose momentum on the initiative, so we decided to make a few changes and launch a new project called Her Story to tell the stories of women veterans. After talking to the women vets on our planning committee, they suggested that we expand the project to women who were working on the front lines during the the pandemic as well. So we were honored to tell the stories of some amazing women who were committed to service. And we think it was a wonderful way to shine the light on the impact they've made in our communities and for our nation. And one of my favorite stories that we highlighted for her story was about one of the first women in the country to enlist in the Air Force's firefighter program in the 1980s. She is a fiercely independent woman. So when she found the flyer on her door from Habitat for home repairs, she was more than a little bit offended (laughs) because she thought her neighbors had put it there thinking she needed help. But then another flyer appeared on her door, and she started thinking about how she had actually slipped and fallen twice in the last year because her garage had sunk below grade, and it created an ice rink in the wintertime. So she decided to call Habitat. And the local Habitat affiliate was able to finance the repairs to her garage so that it would be safe and level. So she no longer has to worry about navigating over an icy walk. Um, one, project, one project for this year's She Served program is for a female veteran with progressive cognitive and muscle degeneration. So we have plans to do accessibility modifications such as widening doorways, wheelchair ramps, and a shower remodel. So she's able to continue to live safely and comfortably in her home. As you know, veterans are more likely to to have uh, disabilities at an earlier age, and so a lot of the work that we do is, uh, is, is helping our veterans with things like wheelchair ramps and accessibility issues. You can still see um, some of the, all of the stories on our website for the 2020 She Served honorees um, at uh, www.habitatwisconsin.org slash her hyphen story. That's awesome. <clears throat> David, do you have... Oh, yeah. Thanks, Richard. And uh, I just want to mention for those listeners that may have tuned in a few minutes late, our special guest this evening is Sarah Kierzek, who is the Executive Director of Habitat for Humanity of Wisconsin. If any of our listeners uh, have a question for Sarah, our toll-free nationwide call-in number is 1-888-627-6008. That's 1-888-627-6008. Sarah, I have a couple follow-up questions uh, piggybacking what Rick was asking. And uh, the first would be, what would you say is Habitat Wisconsin's goal for the she served in her story initiatives, and, and how does that fulfill um, that Veterans Bill Pillar of Honor? Well, our goal for her story was to bring the light to, the, to light the stories of women who've served in the military and on the front lines for COVID, to help them um, honor, to help honor them, the, and to thank them for their service and and for all the things they've they've done, particularly in the last year. We are hoping that telling their stories will actually help us identify more women veterans in our state that are in need of our services. 
and uh, to provide volunteer opportunities that encourage women vets to continue serving in their communities. We also hope that it will bring greater resources to assisting all veterans need of, in need of safety and in affordable housing in, in both rural and in urban areas. These programs not only serve to honor women vets, but also to edu- educate the residents of our state about our women Wisconsin veterans. This, this fall, we are um, planning to bring veterans and volunteers together to, to participate in our She Served Week, which will provide opportunities for volunteering and building as well, um, COVID permitting, of course. Our goal is to have all 35 of our local affiliates statewide honor women veterans in some way during this She Served Week, in whatever way they're able by building, rehabbing, or repairing a a home for a a woman veteran, by inviting women and and men who serve to come and do a a day or days of service, by partnering with veterans organizations to do events in their communities, or by finding other ways to honor our women veterans and, and hopefully help them feel a little less invisible. We'll, of course, follow local, state, and federal guidelines related to COVID-19, as well as recommendations from Habitat International to ensure that every, everyone's safety at these events. But we are also providing ways that people can support this event virtually. We're developing a Veterans Virtual Wall of Honor page on our website. So for a $25 donation to the Our She Serves program, People will have the opportunity to honor a veteran, male or female, on our virtual wall of honor by just submitting their name, service information, and a photo if they'd like to. We'll also be featuring those stories on our website and our social media pages. We encourage everybody to check out our website for more information about this event and learn how they can support and participate in any way they feel comfortable. So in the long term, we hope these initiatives will help our affiliates build and grow these programs so that they'll be able to partner with veterans throughout the year. The She Served and Her Story programs will play a part in helping our female veterans feel better connected and that their service and sacrifice is recognized and appreciated by their communities. So today, as you said, is International Women's Day. And so it's especially important to share these stories and to recognize the power and strength of our women veterans. We're honored and proud to be leading this charge in the state of Wisconsin. And we hope that other organizations around the country will find ways to also honor women veterans. Well, Sarah, that's uh, that's great, and I applaud all that you're doing. I think what Habitat Wisconsin is, is doing is a great example for other organizations uh, throughout the country, and I hope others emulate what you're doing. Um, now, if you, I know you've mentioned uh, a few moments ago the, the website, but if you could tell our listeners again specifically how they can support Habitat for Humanity Wisconsin um, or if they want to support their local Habitat organization or their local Habitat Wisconsin organization, how can they do that? Sure. Um, you can support the local affiliate directly by visiting our website at habitatwisconsin.org, and you can find contact information for all of our Wisconsin affiliates. But you can, uh, to support this program in particular, visit habitatwisconsin.org slash veterans hyphen build 
That's veterans-build for more information about our veterans program, especially she served, and to read the stories of the 2020 Her Story honorees, and or also to honor a veteran of your own on our veterans virtual wall of honor, or if you wish, just to make a contribution to these initiatives. Well, that's great, Sarah. And uh, before we go, I, I want to turn things back over to uh, to Rick Hurley. Uh, Rick? Yeah, Sarah, um, I know you, you've got, you just mentioned how they can, how people can support your organization. Uh, I'm just curious, having been, having volunteered many, many years of my lifetime uh, for different organizations, uh, how difficult is it in terms of the funding? I mean, you've got such a great organization, and and it seems like, uh, you know, the, the financial might be a little bit, a little bit tough to, on your end of the, uh, you know, for what you're trying to do. Right. Well, that's always the challenge: um, finding enough funding to do all the great work and to help all the people that need help. Um, we, especially during this COVID year, some of our Habitat affiliates have really struggled with funding. Uh, quite frankly, uh, some of our funding comes from things like corporate work days. Uh, and since we can't have volunteers at our web at our work sites right now, those corporate uh, work days have gone away, and usually those corporations bring donations with them. Um, we also had to cancel all of our fundraisers. Uh, affiliates had to had to uh, try to do some fundraising online. Um, we for quite a while had to close our restores uh, until we could slowly reopen them, and those are all places that we uh, traditionally get funding. And so, and and quite frankly, our some of our uh, habitat partner families have struggled because they've lost jobs and aren't able to make their mortgage payments. So, those mortgage payments that usually go into what we call a fund for habitat to go back into the community and serve more low-income families, um, those those were hurt as well. So, um, yes, our, our need for funding is, is greater now than ever, and especially yeah. since we see more more need for affordable housing than ever. You know, I, um, I'd say at least three or four times a day, uh, people uh, come, come up to me and they ask me, you know, how can they help veterans and I'm always telling them, you know, be careful about these big organizations and a lot of their overhead that, uh, because, you know, you want to, you want to make sure the money that's being donated gets, gets to the veteran, mm-hmm. not to help the veteran. Um, and as I'm listening to you and looked into your, your organization, I can tell that, uh, clearly the money that you guys get ends up right where it's supposed to be, which is to help those veterans. So, you know, anyone listening tonight, you know, this is a great organization. Sarah's doing some wonderful work, uh, and this would be the, a perfect organization. If you want to make sure your dollar's going to count, I, it sounds like uh, this organization is a great place to put it. Right. We, we can tell you that um, those contributions will go directly to the Habitat Build Projects for Veterans at our local affiliates. We don't take um, we don't take any administrative costs from them. So that we're, that money is going to go directly to serving a veteran in need. That's awesome. Hey, David, back to you. Well, thanks, and Sarah, thank you so much uh, for all that you're doing. 
uh, and uh, especially uh, in being with us for this evening to discuss uh, the programs that uh, the focus on uh, women veterans in particular. I think you're doing great work, and uh, we certainly uh, offer our best wishes to you and everyone in Habitat for Humanity, and we hope that uh, sometime in the future, when it's convenient, maybe you can join us again as a guest on our show and tell us more about uh, what's going on, and I hope uh, that, you know, this COVID pandemic is uh, is over real soon so that um, all your important work can, can continue as you uh, had described. So thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. appreciate it. Thank you, Sarah. Bye-bye. Good evening. Take care. Again, what a great thanks. organization, huh? Yeah, thanks to Sarah Kierzak, Executive Director for Habitat for Humanity of Wisconsin, for being with us. Again, uh, her organization's website, easy to remember. It's habitatwisconsin.org. That's H-A-B-I-T-A-T, wisconsin.org, habitatwisconsin.org. Check them out if you can make a donation or support them in any way or any of their local affiliates within Wisconsin, please do that. Uh, so, okay, Rick, I know we have a lot of news uh, affecting veterans and their families. You want to start us off? Sure, sure. And just uh, just to reiterate, anyone uh, that's listening tonight, and you <clears throat> you want to make your dollar count, uh, it seems to me that uh, Sarah's organization is a great place to, to make your dollar count. We're always concerned about monies being you know, out of that dollar, how much ends up in administrative costs versus getting to our veterans. And clearly, <clears throat> in Sarah's organizations, the dollar's going directly to the veterans. So keep that in mind when you're getting ready to take some deductions. April 15th is coming up, so if you need any more deductions before the end of the, end of the tax year, go ahead and write them a check. Let's move on to more news this evening. The American Legion has many programs for veterans and its families, as you know. The American Legion announced on its website on January the 1st that children whose parents lost their lives while honorably serving on active duty on or after 9-11, as well as children of post-9-11 veterans with a combined VA disability rating of 50% or higher, are eligible to apply for the American Legion Legacy Scholarship. Since the, since the Legacy Scholarship's first grant in 2004, 401 military children of the fallen and disabled have received over $3.6 million in aid. The Legacy Scholarship provides financial aid for graduate and postgraduate tuition, books, room and board, meal plans, and other supplies needed to achieve a higher education. It is a needs-based scholarship. The grant amount each scholarship recipient will receive will be based on his or her financial needs for after all federal and state aid is exhausted. Recipients will have a year to use the grant and may reapply to the American Legion Legacy Scholarship up to six times. The number of scholarships awarded and the amount of financial aid granted to each awardee, this includes returning applicants, will be determined on donations to the scholarship fund and one's financial needs. Legacy scholarship awards are made possible from donations to the American Legion Legacy Scholarship Fund. The American Legion Legacy Scholarship application for 2021 is now online at legion.org for eligible applicants to apply. The application deadline is April 15th. For additional information about the scholarship and eligibility requirements, please learn more at the website, legion.org. 2021 American Legion Legacy Scholarship recipients will be selected by the American Legion Committee on Youth Education during the organization's annual spring meetings in May. All applicants, whether recipients of the Legacy Scholarship or not, will be notified immediately thereafter. Back to you, David. 
Thanks, Rick. That sounds like a great program by the American Legion. <clears throat> in other news affecting veterans in particular, uh, thousands of veterans who were discharged administratively with less than honorable discharges. Here's some really big news. I've mentioned it before in prior weeks, uh, but it's uh, worth certainly worth repeating. Uh, the United States Army will uh, soon begin reviewing thousands of discharge records of veterans affected by military sexual trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder, and other behavioral health conditions uh, following a class action uh, lawsuit. This review is part of a settlement reached in the lawsuit known as Kennedy versus McCarthy, which was preliminary, preliminarily approved December 28th, uh, according to the Army. Uh, the Army will look at discharges of veterans affected by post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, military sexual trauma, or other behavioral uh, health conditions. Under this agreement, the Army will automatically reconsider certain discharge status upgrade decisions made by the Army Discharge Review Board between April 17, 2011 and the effective date of the settlement that either partially or fully denied relief to Iraq and Afghanistan-era veterans with less than fully honorable discharges. Uh, veterans who were discharged and did not receive an upgrade to honorable from the review board between October 7, 2001 and October and uh, excuse me, April 16, 2011 will also be able to reapply uh, due to this uh, settlement. The lawsuit was filed in April of 2017 in the United States District Court of Connecticut by Army Combat Veteran Steve Kennedy and Alicia Carson, both of whom suffered from PTSD and other health conditions but were given a general discharge despite their medical issues. Their case was handled by the Veterans Legal Services Clinic at Yale Law School. This is a really big issue. As I say, it's affecting um, thousands of veterans who were administratively discharged, typically for some type of misconduct. They were given a general discharge, but the Army failed to consider that they were suffering from PTSD, traumatic brain injury, military sexual trauma, or some other behavioral health problem. Uh, now, this uh, proposed settlement is uh, going to be subject to a final review, which will occur on March the 24th at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. For more information on the settlement, you can go to the website kennedysettlement.com. Again, that's kennedysettlement.com. This is a very big issue for those veterans. Why? Because uh, many of them find that uh, because of their uh, unfavorable discharge characterization, they are uh, subject to losing or they have lost important VA benefits. So this is uh, a very important development, and uh, we applaud uh, uh, those involved in the lawsuit uh, from the Yale Veterans Clinic and others that have supported their effort. Uh, okay, Rick, back over to you for other news. Yeah, in COVID-related news from the VA, the Department of Veteran Affairs announced in a January 29, 2021 press release that the VA is trying to help address economic hardships the veteran community faces during the ongoing pandemic. As part of those efforts, the VA will extend the existing moratorium on evictions and foreclosures until March 31, 2021. VA borrowers experiencing financial hardship due to COVID-19 can review VA guidance for borrowers on va.gov or call 877-827-3702 for additional information. VA is also looking for immediate ways to help over 2 million veterans 
maintain their financial footing by exploring options to ease the burden of federal collections on compensation and pension overpayments and medical and educator-related debts. The VA will provide updated information and guidance for veterans at va.gov on this effort as soon as possible. Back to you, David. Thanks, Rick. Uh, got some news about the VA Caregiver Support Program. This is a program in which the, the VA provides uh, training and uh, other support, including a financial stipend, to family members who stay at home to support their disabled uh, veteran. It's a very uh, important program, and uh, in, in the past year there have been some major changes to that program. There have been two phases of changes, and uh, the first of those phases of expanding the program began October the 1st, 2020, this past October, which extended the program, which up until now had been for post-9-11 veterans. Well, this first phase of expansion of the program extends the program to eligible veterans who incurred or aggravated a serious injury in the line of duty on or before May 7th. 1975. That's the Vietnam era veterans and earlier generations, all the earlier generations. As I said, up until this change, the program was only for post-9-11 veterans and their caregivers. Now, there will be a second phase of the expansion effective in about a year and a half, effective October 1st, 2022, which will expand the program to the remaining groups of veterans meaning those who incurred or aggravated a serious injury in line of duty between May 7th, 1975, and September 11th, 2001. This program, as I said, is very important. It offers assistance to family caregivers of eligible veterans, including education and training, a monthly stipend, and other benefits. If you want to learn more about the VA's Caregiver Support Program, please contact your local VA's Caregiver Support Coordinator, uh, or you can call the caregiver support line at, here's the toll-free number for the caregiver support line. That's 1-855-260-3274. Again, the VA's caregiver support line, toll-free number nationwide is 1-855-260-3274. Their hours are 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday and 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Saturdays. You can also go to the website, which is easy to remember. It's caregiver.va.gov. That's caregiver.va.gov. Now, I know this is a very important program. It's also been fairly controversial during its existence, and in the last few years it's been the subject of a lot of uh, very uh, necessary uh, review and criticism uh, by veteran groups because uh, it, it's felt that the VA has has been uh, far too uh, uh, difficult and unreasonable in, in, in applying this program to eligible veterans. And it's received some ongoing scrutiny by Congress and also the subject of uh, litigation by groups like uh, Veteran Warriors and, and National Veterans Legal Services Program, among others. We've had uh, guests on our program, including Lauren Price and, uh, and uh, uh, Holly Farrell from the Veteran Warriors on our program in the past, discussing about the complexity. It really is a complex application process 
and uh, it's something that uh, veterans need to be aware of, that, that the program can be somewhat bureaucratic. That's probably an understatement. But if you want more information, uh, this is a program to enable severely disabled veterans to stay at, live out of their home, and uh, receive the care they need from, from a family member. That's uh, the Caregiver Support Program, caregiver.va.gov. Uh, now, before turning things over to Rick Hurley, I want to mention another big development in the news. We've mentioned recent programs, but it's really big news for Vietnam War veterans, and that is this. The National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2021 added uh, three new disabilities to the Agent Orange presumptive list for disability compensation. As many veterans uh, served in Vietnam already know, the Agent Orange list um, has has increased over the years, and uh, this most recent change is another example of that. The three additional conditions are as follows. Parkinsonism, bladder cancer, and hypothyroidism. That's Parkinsonism, bladder cancer, and hypothyroidism. Please realize that Parkinsonism is different from Parkinson's disease. Parkinson's disease was and has been on the Agent Orange list already. So Parkinsonism is, is the most recent, one of the three new additional disabilities. And it's a general term that refers to a group of neurological disorders that cause movement problems similar to those seen in Parkinson's disease, such as tremors, slow movement, and stiffness. Under the category of Parkinsonism, there are a number of disorders, some of which have yet to be clearly defined or named. So uh, time will tell exactly how the VA uh, applies, how broadly or how narrowly they apply the definition of Parkinsonism. But that is an important development. And the other two, as I mentioned, include bladder cancer and hypothyroidism. So uh, stand by, and we will uh, keep our listeners updated uh, in, in, the, in the months ahead as the, as the VA starts adjudicating uh, these claims. Um, hypothyroidism is a condition that um, it's also called the underactive thyroid disease. It's a rather common disorder. It's when the thyroid gland doesn't make enough thyroid hormone. And uh, the symptoms can be vague and often mimic other conditions. They, they, they can include, uh, for women, changes in menstrual cycle, uh, constipation, depression, dry hair and hair loss, dry skin, elevated cholesterol, fatigue, greater sensitivity to cold, hoarse voice, joint pain, stiffness and swelling, problems with memory, muscle aches and pain, slow heart rate, swelling of the thyroid gland, unexplained weight loss and difficulty losing weight. So you can see from this list that those, those uh, conditions also can exist for many other uh, disabilities. So it's going to come down to, you know, the diagnosis from the doctors and, uh, and then see how the VA either broadly or narrowly interprets uh, those things. So that is an important development uh, for Vietnam uh, veterans, the addition of those three. Rick, uh, back over to you. Yeah, and it's been a long time coming for for that change in, in the uh, presumption. Um, as many know, Agent Orange was a tactical herbicide used by the U.S. military for control of vegetation. It was named for the, for the orange band around the storage barrel. 
the military sprayed Agent Orange and other tactical herbicides during the Vietnam War. Veterans who may have been exposed to Agent Orange include veterans who served in different locations, including Vietnam, in some ships off the coast of Vietnam, in the Korean demilitarized zone, on the Thai Air Force bases, at other locations, and who flew on or worked on C-123 aircraft. The recent change in the law is the most recent expansion of the list of illnesses which the VA will presume was due to Agent Orange exposure. More information can be found at the VA website, va.gov. VA offers eligible veterans a free Agent Orange registry health exam for possible long-term health problems related to exposure. VA also offers health care, disability compensation, and other benefits to eligible veterans for certain diseases, disease conditions, as well as benefits for children of Vietnam veterans who have spina bifida. Uh, dependents and survivors may also be eligible, eligible for other benefits. Back to you, David. Thanks, Rick. Yeah, the Agent Orange issue is, um, is a classic example of uh, the ongoing uh, human and financial cost of war. We've talked about cost of war in many of our prior shows, Rick, as you know, and uh, uh, you and I in our work helping veterans really have a, a front row seat in observing the human cost of war, the impact that war has, the military service has on, uh, on people. Uh, years and even decades for the rest of their lives in many cases. And uh, the Agent Orange issue is one that uh, has uh, really been a major, major cloud over the, the generation of Vietnam War veterans. As I, as I said earlier, uh, the, the veterans of the Vietnam War, they know they, the veteran groups, and they have been fighting with the VA and, and Congress for many years, this Agent Orange uh, presumptive list is a way to make it easier for these veterans to receive not only medical care but disability compensation for various diseases and cancers that have been associated with, with exposure to Agent Orange or other herbicides. <clears throat> for those that maybe aren't really familiar with that and they want to get a sense, there's a lot of information on the Internet, including on the VA website, uh, that discusses uh, Agent Orange, and you can certainly uh, read in the Internet or read in history books about the Vietnam War and see photographs. There's nothing like a photograph. As they say, you know, a picture tells a thousand words. And uh, the, the pictures that show the effects of uh, Agent Orange uh, are really uh, shocking. It was used to essentially kill uh, the vegetation in, in jungles in Vietnam, South Vietnam, because that's where the enemy, the Viet Cong or the North Vietnamese Army, were effectively hiding. So, um, you know, some, some genius in the Pentagon came up with the idea of, well, why don't we just uh, use these, these chemicals and defoliate uh, these, these jungles and uh, the river banks, et cetera, wherever. So uh, the military did that with millions and millions of gallons of these things, which they, they sprayed from planes, they sprayed uh, hand by hand, uh, all, all, in various places uh, throughout the country. And, of course, our, our soldiers, Marines, airmen, sailors uh, were exposed to this, and uh, science and medical studies over the years have, have documented uh, the, the extensive uh, harm uh, to their health. And uh, that's why we, we mention this, because I know, Rick, uh, you see a lot in your, 
in your work helping veterans, a lot of Vietnam veterans still suffering the effects, uh, health effects of that. It's, and, it's amazing, David. Um, and, you know, with the other thing that I find, uh, not to interrupt, but it's amazing how many Vietnam veterans are still, for the first time, addressing their disabilities that, that they suffered while in service. And they've had to deal with them for you know, ever since they were discharged in the late 60s, early 70s. Yeah, and that that includes, um, you know, something that we mention all the time. We mentioned earlier on this show, uh, post-traumatic stress. You know, in earlier wars like World War II, they, they call, had other names like shell shock or battle fatigue. Um, but it certainly is a real condition. And I think the reason why a lot of uh, Vietnam veterans, uh, and certainly veterans of wars from earlier wars like Korea and World War II, Rick, that I know that you've helped as well, that that um, it was also a different time, a different era. The VA, um, for, for all the criticism thrown at the VA now, the VA is a vastly improved uh, organization that offers um, tremendous amount of support, financial and medical support, and other type of support. There are lots of programs uh, to help veterans. And uh, the other thing is there's a lot more information. We live in the information age now, and I know that there are established programs for those leaving active duty where they are briefed before as part of a transition from military service back to civilian life. They are briefed and helped with filing VA claims even before they leave uh, active duty. Uh, and, and it's improved over time. I realize some listeners might say, well, when I left the service in 1995, it wasn't the case. Well, that's true. Things have vastly improved. But let me go back to the Vietnam era. I represent a lot of Vietnam veterans. And, uh, you know, that was a war when the draft was on. And a lot of people were, were drafted in the service. Yes, there were a lot that volunteered. But it was often a situation where they might serve only two or three years, and of those two or three years, 12, 13 months were spent over in Vietnam. As soon as their time uh, in Vietnam uh, was finished, they were ready to get home and get the heck out of, uh, out of the military service, especially if they had been drafted. So uh, they would often, I know, Rick, you've heard this as well, uh, many of those veterans, you know, when they're going through their out-processing physical exam, uh, they would underreport disabilities that they had much later to their detriment by, because they knew that if they said, yes, I've got a back injury, I've got these other problems, it would hold up being separated from the military, and they just wanted to get out of the military and get back home. That was the environment, certainly back then. There was not the, the big push in the publicity. There was no such thing as the Internet where people could research things themselves. There was no VA website. It was very hard to get information. There was a great dependence on on veteran service organizations, but they themselves, again, they did not have the, the benefit that we have in the information age, and there just was not at all the appreciation for um, for things like psychological harm from war. There just wasn't, uh, and there certainly wasn't any recognition of of, uh, of the effects of toxic exposure like to Agent Orange. And um, But as a result, um, you know, you do see veterans also that, um, you know, they're trained to be soldiers, Marines, et cetera, whatever branch they're serving in. 
they're trained to be tough and to be stoic and not to complain and to get the mission comes first, not themselves. And uh, so as a result, they're not, they don't report problems and they certainly don't express any weaknesses. Um, and so they don't report things. But I know, Rick, you, you've told many stories on shows before where, you know, you've talked to veterans and then you turn to their to uh, to their spouse and, and and ask the wife, okay, well, what what what's it been like living with this veteran, this this combat veteran, and then you find out really the whole story, what sort of a hell it's been, right? Absolutely, you know, and and, and these wives, when they when I when I ask the veteran, you know, tell tell me about what is these Vietnam as an example, tell me about Vietnam, what happened, and, you know, and he starts the conversation off by. By downplaying, like you said, David, downplaying, like, well, it wasn't too bad, you know. And then next thing I know, I find out he was in the Tet Offensive. I'm like, you were in the Tet Offensive? <laughs> Jesus. No. You know, and then he starts telling the stories. And then I no. look over at the wife, and the wife is just like, her jaws dropped, because she's never heard it before. But <clears throat> but she, she, you know, then we start talking about the symptoms, as he said, and, um, you know, a lot of these veterans... Um, you know, have, have severe nightmares, and um, sometimes they get violent in bed. You know that the, 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 the husband and wife end up having to sleep in different beds because uh, during his nightmares he starts, um, you know, hitting, you know, swinging. I should say, he just swings. He's just swinging, and, and she would be in the way. Uh, and this, uh, as you were talking, David, I was thinking, you know. Spouses of these veterans, if you see these these kinds kinds of behaviors, um, and you know your veteran um, served and probably served in combat, uh, you need to really get uh, you know take the bull by the horns and, and and talk to your your husband, the veteran, and tell your husband you know you got to go get help. Uh, let me let me, let me to add to that, Rick. Since this is International Women's Day, I wanted to talk about something that that is very important that many of our guests have shared on prior shows, which is which is unlike uh, the Vietnam era, where where uh, you know almost all the the the, the, the front line combat troops were men, and uh, the, the women veterans were were typically in 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 uh, in support. Uh, or large bases. Now that's not the case. So you have uh, women veterans from the Afghanistan wars, the Iraq wars, and this ongoing war against terror uh, that have been frontline combat. And uh, I think it was last week or the week before we had uh, some uh, some taped interviews from uh, from some women veterans that were discussing. Um, you know the, the the PTSD that they were going through. So it's it's something that um, that uh, women veterans and you know in our earlier our guest this evening, uh, Sarah Kurzak was was mentioning how a, a lot of women veterans um, they don't even want to uh, say that they were veterans, and uh, you know maybe it was because they weren't directly in combat. But the nature of war now is even if you were in a support base. In Iraq or Afghanistan, you know, a lot of these bases, uh, you know, they were nicknamed, uh, uh, you know, Mortaritaville, you know, sort of a play on Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville. But these are Mortaritavilles because they're getting mortared by the enemy every single day or pretty, pretty close to that. So you could be in a so-called relatively uh, safe rear echelon area, some big 
a support installation that had 20,000 troops, and um, no place is safe. And certainly if you're going out driving on the roads or in convoys, uh, you know, the signature weapons of IEDs affected uh, everyone, uh, not just the typical frontline infantry uh, troops. So it's, uh, it's a big issue. And with just a few minutes left on our show, I think it's probably yeah. a good segue to ch- our... I want to chime in first before you do that, David. Go ahead. Um, let, let's also not forget military sexual trauma. Right. That is, is plaguing, plaguing uh, our military and the, the women veterans, and in, in many cases, male veterans, because I certainly have many, many cases involving male uh, veterans who were subject to military sexual trauma. So that's something that really, you know, hopefully the, the, the military is going to start fixing it, but it's been a huge problem. Um, and, you know, again, if there are women veterans out there and you, you are, are subject to military sexual trauma, you need to come forward because um, there's help out there for you uh, and, there's, and, and there's benefits out there. There's compensation available to you. Uh, so, you know, you've got you to gotta seek it. Uh, because it, it, it's horrific what, what happened. So back to you, David. Yeah, and, and uh, before we go to a coaching and the care, I just want to add uh, that was an excellent thing. I appreciate you mentioning that, Rick, was that the whole nature of the military organization and people that are in the military get this. They know this from when they were in boot camp. The military is so vastly different from ordinary c- civilian world. It's a closed society into itself where if you simply walk off the job, that not only can get you fired, it can be, put you in jail or prison. It's a crime against the Uniform Code of Military Justice, which means when when uh, when uh, when uh, service members are facing sexual assault, sexual harassment in the military, they can't simply say, "Well, I'm going to report to HR and then and then quit this job." No, they uh, the the power, the inequity, the power structure in the military from from um, uh, from uh, NCOs or officers is uh, is is vastly uh, aggravated than it, than it is even in the civilian world. We know how bad that is. So I I appreciate you bringing that up, Rick. And and yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of support out there, and um, we encourage uh, veterans to uh, to be aware of that. Let's go to the coaching into care program, Rick, because we're about out of time. Absolutely, uh, <clears throat> coaching into in into care program. It's our weekly reminder to our veterans and their families about this great program. It, it helps veterans having difficulty transitioning from the military to home life. Returning home can be a tough adjustment, and, and, uh, for, and, and your loved ones can help. Coaching in the Care offers free coaching to help you help your veteran. Give the program a call. The number is one 888 hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., Again, VA's coaching and care number is one triple eight eight two three seven four five eight. In addition, I would like to once again remind listeners that you that if you know a veteran who is suicidal or in a crisis of any kind, U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs also has a veterans crisis line to help. Call one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five and press one. Many veterans have committed suicide because they did not get the help they needed. Help them get that get the care they need to cope with their problems. Once again. Veterans Crisis Line can help. That number is 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. Back to you, David. Thanks, Rick. We'd like to thank again our special guest, Sarah Kierzak, Executive Director of Habitat uh, 
for Humanity of Wisconsin. Their website is HabitatWisconsin.org. If you can donate or support, please do, HabitatWisconsin.org. We'd also like to thank our sponsors, Corey and Hurley Law Group, which represents veterans and disability cases throughout the country. I'd like to thank our producer at BBS Radio, Mr. Doug Newsom. Hope you'll tune in next week, same time, same station, 7 p.m. Eastern, 5 uh, p.m. Mountain, 6 p.m. Central, and 4 p.m. Pacific here on bbsradio.com station one. Till then, stay safe and stay healthy. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Veterans News Hour with David Corey and Richard Hurley. We hope you found this week's program very informative. Be sure to invite your friends and all the veterans you know to tune in next week when we'll have another great show on veterans issues. Meanwhile, you can listen to our other recorded episodes on the Veterans News Hour webpage on bbsradio.com. Thanks again for listening to the Veterans News Hour.